Hello, I'm Alan Furstenberg. And I'm Mark Tucker, and we are Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. How's your week been, Mark? Oh, it's been uh, busy but good, I think. <laughs> I carry you on busy but good. <laughs> I don't know. Some days we're like busy late, and I'm not so sure of myself. But uh, overall, it's good. Well, it's always good to hear. You know, it's um, it's... It's been fun the past bunch of weeks. We've been talking a lot about CMS stuff, but I figure we also should uh, should catch up a little bit on some some news that's been coming yeah. out recently. Uh, that's in this case not specific related to voice, but um, kind of very adjacent. Yeah. So let me let me tell you my little, like my quick little history story of uh, of AWS and. Uh, and web endpoints, um, things that I can do WebSockets against. So years ago, uh, what is this, 2017, 2016, when I first started doing voice stuff, then I didn't know anything about AWS. So that was part of the hill that I had to climb and learn. Uh, so I learned Lambda because that seemed like it was, it made a lot of sense. Um, like and, and we should remember back then, um, the built-in functions weren't available. So it's not like, you know, as part of the console, you couldn't just, you know, switch to that code editor and, and edit code in there. That wasn't yeah, well, available yet. Yeah, there, there definitely wasn't the, that uh, hosted deployment option was not, was not available. That's only been the last uh, couple of years. So, you know, I had to learn about what Lambda was. And I think one of the first uh, templates I did was a, a project that was like a starter template for creating a skill hosted in Lambda that uses used serverless. Because I don't think... I don't even think the serverless framework was, was part of some of the examples uh, back then. And so serverless is just a way of hosting or deploying your webhooks or web functions uh, to, to the cloud. And so, um, and, and I didn't really have to worry about it because I was doing Alexa and Alexa talked directly to uh, Lambda functions through the Alexa skills kit. Um, there's, there's an interface for that. And so for the longest time, I was, I was good to go. I didn't have to worry about anything else. And then along came a project that I was doing Jovo and I was doing a Google action and an Alexa skill both. And uh, in order to do the Google action, I needed to talk to a webhook, uh, you know, post to an HTTPS endpoint someplace. And I had my code running in Lambda and I figured out that you could do uh, API gateway in front of that. And so created a West endpoint uh, in front of the Lambda. So then I could have a Google action too. And so that's, that's kind of how it started. And, and then for a while, you know, as, as things progressed, that's, that was really the only option for API gateway. And, and with API gateway, now um, I use API gateway in a couple of projects that I have for clients. You only in this case needed to set up one API endpoint, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just needed a post. I didn't need right. any of the other rest. I didn't need to get a put or a, you know delete or right. any, any of that stuff. So there was lots of configuration that and functionality that was there that was pretty powerful that I didn't need at all. I just needed a quick pass through to post to some endpoint. So that so that's you know so I felt like there was a lot that was there, um, but that I didn't really need. And then. Um, there was an improvement to API Gateway. Now you have a, had a second option. It was an HTTP option, which was slimmer and less expensive and easier to configure, uh, and and then became the recommended way of um, of having a web 
uh, front end on uh, you know web uh, webhook in, interface into your lambda. So that was that became the recommended way. And so then as projects progressed, that I needed to do um, Google Actions or even Bixby uh, capsules. Um, then they, that needed to be exposed through API Gateway, and I chose HTTP as the option for that. So that's kind of the way it's been until just recently. And just recently, so so what is the announcement that we um, that we got from them? It's within the past couple of weeks. Um, so there is Lambda function URLs. So right in the so what what you end up having to do is that you would set up a Lambda. The old way, you'd set up a Lambda, you'd configure something in API Gateway, and then you would connect those. And you had the charges for things going through API Gateway, and you had the charges for uh, using of the Lambda function. Now, all the configuration is just in Lambda. Um, there's, it's, it does a lot less, um, and there's like some like specific use cases of why you would use Lambda um, URLs, but it allows you to have, um, once again, uh, some sort of a WebSocket uh, connection into your Lambda. You just configure it right there in Lambda, and the only thing that you're charged for is the use of the Lambda function. You know, and I found this kind of funny. When I first was um, was exposed to, to AWS Lambda, uh, I had already been using Google's rough equivalent, and I say rough equivalent, mm -hmm. um, which on the the Google Cloud Platform side is called Cloud Functions. Right. And I'd use Cloud Functions, but I'd mostly been using it through a different product called Cloud Functions for Firebase. And a lot of, for those of you that don't know what Firebase is, Firebase started as another company, Google bought yeah. them, um, that provided a real-time uh, NoSQL database. Sort of like a JSON database, but not quite close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but its big feature was that you would attach listeners to it, and the listeners would get notifications as parts of the database changed. So kind of a PubSub, kind of a data yeah, store. Yeah, you know, of... it's implemented using WebSockets, and there were also there were all sorts of really neat elements to it. Um, I still love Firebase, but that's that was a subject for a couple of episodes <laughs> ago. Um, when they bought them though, they kind of changed what Firebase represented. So Firebase moved from just a database to a full platform meant for um, mobile and web developers. So it provided a bunch of different things for developers. And a lot of them were really just kind of simplified front ends to the cloud backend. Um, the impression I get is the rough AWS equivalent now is Amplify. I, I kind of get that feeling too. I don't know enough about yeah. You know, I don't know either don't of them to compare, I'm, but yeah, I, I, I can kind of see that. It's a rough equivalent. It's not a it's not exact yeah. comparison, but it's a rough equivalent. Um, so one of the features that they offered as kind of a simplified version of cloud functions is cloud functions for Firebase, and they simplified it in a lot of different ways. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the ones that I found most interesting though, and both of them actually offered this upfront, is that although there are a bunch of event-based hooks, you know, so you could, you know, your function would be triggered, for example, when you save data into Firebase, um, they also right off the bat had HTTP hooks. 
So oh. you could, there was a URL right off the bat um, that you would get, and it would be provisioned for HTTPS right off the bat. So that was always there. Um, the other thing that was really cool is that the interface for it on the JavaScript side looked a shocking amount like Express, which is a node package for oh, running okay. servers. Yeah. To the point where Express middleware could be plugged in without too much difficulty. There was some middleware that was automatically there. There were other things that were all already configured for you. But there was a shocking amount that looked like Express. And the reason was because they were using Express under the hood. Ah, um, that makes sense. So it looked very much, you know, not just from the outside, looked like an HTTP server, but what you were running, what you wrote, looked a lot like an HTTP server, which was, you know, and when I moved to, when I needed to start running some things for Lambda, I was surprised. I'm like, wait, what's what's this event thing? I'm 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 running HTTP. Why why do I need an event? What's what's going on here? Yeah. So that was that that was some confusion on my part when I moved over. Yeah, that that is interesting. So um, so you could use one of these uh, Firebase uh, functions. You could use those that as the the thing that hosted code and you could go have a Google action go against it or? Well, yes. In fact, that was the, the recommended way for a long time still okay. is uh, for how to create a webhook is that you just have associated with the same project that your, your action would be associated with. Uh, you could just set it up as a webhook and you okay. have the URL for that. One of the other neat things about the Firebase integration is that Firebase also has something called Firebase hosting, which Again, gives you a URL, you can dump files there and it hosts them just like any yeah. other web server. Um, and if you have a custom domain, you can point your custom domain at Firebase hosting and it just works with the right HTTPS certificate. It's really, really easy and straightforward. Yeah. Um, one of the other neat things though, was that you could also point URL paths at the Firebase hosting URL to a cloud function. So you would have the equivalent of dynamic pages could be generated or dynamic whatever could be generated at the same site as your static pages were located. Oh, okay. And that was really, you know, so. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. And, right. and they, they, it seems like they tried to bundle it up to make it as easy as possible to just yeah have it work yep. altogether. A, yeah. a lot of things with Firebase are just, you know, just make them work. Yeah. Um, it hides a lot of the really complicated parts of uh, what Google Cloud is trying to do. And it, you know, Cloud offers the same features just under three different places for, yeah. you know, in this <laughs> in kind of in the same, you know, in, in similar but different ways that Amazon gives you all the features, just, you know, you got to put it together yourself. Yeah, and sometimes they give you different options. So in this case, now you've got three different options. It's like, do I need a REST endpoint? Do I need a, just a, a, you know, a more powerful HTTP endpoint? Or do I just need some uh, webhook that, that's going to go directly to my Lambda? And, right. um, you know, and there's you know, different pros and cons of those. And, 
and you know, different capabilities. And, and one of the things I liked about serverless framework is that once you define what the, what that hosting thing is going to be, it's it's not a lot of work to define. And then you can just deploy your yes. you know, up and deploy uh, your you know skill and action code to to Lambda and have uh, an API gateway configured. And now it seems like like right out of the box, even like day one, almost it seemed like serverless had the ability to now uh, take advantage of these Lambda URLs. It's like they were they knew they were coming and they and they worked to to get that functionality out. Mm. So that should be something that if you're done serverless or you know, in the past or want to consider serverless, then that would be an easy way to deploy your your code. You know, one of the things that I think you and I talked about um, in the past, and I'm kind of curious how this new uh, framework handles it, is in validating requests. So one of one of the things that you need to do when you get a request that comes in via webhook mm-hmm. is you need to make sure that it actually comes from the Alexa or the Google Assistant service. And they do that by providing authentication information in the header. Mm-hmm. And I know under API Gateway, we had a way that we could validate that. What, what, what I've seen, and hmm, there's, I'd, I'd have to look, I, I think like Jovo handles it on its own. I think it just handles it. Because um, what typically happens is that if you're using Jovo and you're needing to, Host it, then there's actually a slim express front end um, that intercepts things and then it, it, it gets the JSON and then passes it through the whole pipeline that that is Jovo and and you know and handles it that way. But there is, I know, like an Alexa verifier middleware that you can add mm-hmm. to express um, that that takes care of that. So some of that, so it seems like that actually happens um, on the on the end, so it actually makes it to your lambda, and then the lambda itself verifies it. Whereas I know, like if you had the original API gateway REST option, there were chance to intercept things right before you actually even hand it off. So API gateway would stop it before it even made it to um, to Alexa. Interesting, and that's one of the features that Cloud Functions doesn't have. So when I when I wrote multivocal, I had it implemented in multivocal in, in the same way. Right. One of the neat bits about that, though, is um, on the Google side, and I don't—I think on the Alexa side as well. I don't remember now. Suddenly, um, on the Google side, the one of the the JWT fields. So it, it hands over a JSON Web Token, which is signed, and you can validate. And one of the claims in the the, the Web Token is the project that it's running from. Interesting. So, so multivocal makes an assumption, unless you tell it otherwise, that your action and your cloud function are running in the same project. Since it's running in that project on the on cloud functions, it knows which project it's running in. So it can automatically validate it without you having to set anything. Oh, that's clever. Otherwise, you need to set, well, here's, here's what I'm expecting for this field. Yeah, um, but no, if- that is interesting. I don't recall. I, I think the the checks that um, you have to do on the Alexa side is more with the fact that uh, that the the request has come in within a certain time frame. Yeah. Um, uh, it used to be on the early early days 
that there was like an additional validation that you had to, that you could set on your your I think it was on actually on the Alexa skills kit side of things where you could say this this connector thing that's uh, connecting Alexa to the Lambda had a thing where you could put like the skill ID and it would reject traffic if it wasn't the right skill ID, which is kind of interesting because then it kind of took on the air, at least for me, is that that, that skill ID is something that you want to kind of keep secret because that's one of the things that would um, prevent, you know. Right, but isn't hacking. that skill ID exposed in the directory? It's not exposed in the directory. Oh, interesting. Okay. No, because the the what in the skill store itself, it's not it's not exposed. But where they did expose it is Quick Links. Oh, right. And so, um, so, so you know, at first I'm just like, uh, Quick Links, are you sure that you want to be exposing this Alexa skill ID? But I've actually I've gone back and looked, and I don't see that that same setting is there to to limit the the endpoint from listening to is just working with just a specific um, skill ID. We'll have to we'll have to look this up and, and schedule it for another. Uh... <laughs> another session because because now i want to go into all the details um, of verifying of how you verify i mean because it's a legitimate question is how do yeah. we how do we verify this sort of thing um but certainly i think you know this update to to lambda it's it's exciting you know because it does mean that you can more easily just host dynamic content or host an api or you know, as we, you know, especially on the voice field, it's host a, just a skill or an action. Yeah, and, and and this list I'm looking at, I think there's a lot of things that you can do. So with this um, Lambda URL, you can't do WebSockets. So if that's something that you need, or if you need extra power and control, then you probably need one of the API gateway options. Um, but it is good for um, webhooks, which is ex exactly what we're using them for, for Alexa and Google. Um, APIs that are built with, um, for you know, backend frameworks, um, single function microservices. So something that's very simple. And so some of those things would take advantage of, uh, like one of the things I noticed right off the bat is that the response timeout yeah. Um, on the API gateway side is, I think, max, you know, 29, 30 29 seconds. 29 seconds. Whereas... Ask me how this... I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you hit that a couple of times? Yeah, yeah once or twice. <laughs> once or 200. Um, and the response timeout for these new Lambda URLs is 15 minutes. So you could do... Um, a, you know, a lot of more processing um, and waiting for responses. You can, you know, connect things together. Um, th they're definitely targeting it towards, you could, you know, put things into a, a database, which would trigger a Lambda, which could then put, you know, or you could put things into a queue, um, process that, throw that on the event bridge. There's, you know, all this orchestration work. Um, uh, you have to go to extra work if you want to have domains on function URLs because mm. they, they give you uh, like a standard uh, mm -hmm. URL that you have to use. Um, and I think if you're going to want to do like custom domains, I think you have to then um, have that funnel through like uh, CloudFront or something like that. Um, Which is pretty normal for, you know, that, yeah. that makes sense. Going going back to the 15 minutes though, that's interesting. You know, and again, this doesn't, this isn't useful for us in voice. You get seven seconds. We got seven seconds. Um, 
but it, uh, it, it does remind me of one of the things that, again, I discovered an interesting difference between cloud functions and Lambda. And that's that, you know, in cloud functions, you can keep processing after you send the response back. Yeah. Whereas in Lambda, you send the response back and it shuts down right afterwards, which is yeah. interesting because then when you get another request in, sometimes it picks up back where it left off. Yeah, there's, um, there is a setting, and I'm trying to remember if it was like an express setting or if there's a Lambda-specific setting that kind of helps with that. Oh, but but the, okay. the, the symptom of that would be that you're doing some testing and you're checking logs and you don't ever, and, and you don't see the end of the session. And then 20 minutes later, you do it again. And the end of the previous session happens right before the beginning of the current session or something. And you're like, no. Yeah, no, that, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I understand why they do it. And it makes a lot of sense. It's just interesting yeah. because this is a, a, a difference that if you're expecting a particular behavior, the two of them do it slightly differently, which is... Yeah. You know. Interesting. I wonder if um, hitting an endpoint on a Lambda function would uh, would keep it warm. Um, I mean, the, in theory it would, but still the session. Yeah. You, you don't know how the session would behave. Yeah, but in some cases I was just I'm just concerned about you know keeping the the response to yeah, I mean it's not that big of a deal. Things have gone gotten uh, been improved quite a bit since I started, but there were different concerns. Like I'm hitting my Lambda and there it's got a cold start time oh, and it's man, hitting an API, which is also serverless, which is hitting a cold, it's start, cold time. start time. Yeah. And then you're like, that's seven seconds right there. Thank you for playing. Yeah, no, that's a great, yes. Um, yeah, there are, there are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are, there are APIs that, uh, that I work with that I know we need to keep them warm. Yeah. Um, and, and suffer the, the cost penalty for it. Uh, and that's also an interesting thing is that Lambda's kind of fit in this place in between hosted and Kubernetes and Docker and Lambda, you know, so, so we've got the, the VM kind of environment and Lambda all the way down at the other end. Yeah. Google has a couple of products in between there, which are interesting, which have uh, scale to zero or scale to one semantics with, with different cost factors to them. Yeah. And the really interesting part is that these days, uh, Cloud Functions is built on top of those. It's just a very managed version of something else, which is a managed version of something else, which is a managed version <laughs> yeah. of Kubernetes. Which is a managed version of <laughs> Google. Google has layers all the way down. So you know, I think it's a great development. You know, it's always fun to see what goes on in the serverless space in general. And uh, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about this, and I'm like, that's cool. That's a nice new addition. Um, you know, I hope that uh, voice developers take advantage of it because I think yeah. it's it's well designed for us. Um, but I think it's an evolution, not a revolution. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would agree. Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to use it, so, but I would as assume that it's easier than what I've used before, and those were fairly easy in the end too. So it's, it's not going to, you know, simplify your life dramatically, but uh, 
you know, configuring one less service is and paying for one less service is, is, right. is always, it's always better. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, and again, I think it's good that every so often we, we stop in and look at what some of these, uh, some of these other tools that are adjacent to our, our voice development projects uh, and how we use them. I think that's, uh, that's only a good thing to discover. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, there, there's the voice experience that we're building and then there's like the foundation of all the things that it needs to, needs to run. And so sometimes it's good to, to put a spotlight on those. Yep. So, um, you know, as always love to hear what, what other people think, what other people use, you know, are there other uh, services that you really love to use to host your skills and actions? We'd love to hear about them. You can, uh, as always, drop uh, drop a comment below, or you can find Mark and I on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or at Voice Lunch. Yep. And catch us on another episode of Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Have a great week, Mark. Yep, you too. Thank you.